let's just stay in a posture of prayer in this moment and worship. Let's just focus on Christ as being that cornerstone in which we build our lives. Let's acknowledge that he is the cornerstone, the truth, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. Just confess to him who he is to you today. Father, we worship you for you are the cornerstone of our life, that which we build our lives upon and around. You are the King of kings, the Lord of all lords. We worship you this morning. God, we take a moment this morning to remember our moms. Thank you, God, for blessing us with those who would just so sac sacrificially give themselves for our sake to care for us, to love us. Thank you, Lord, for their investment into our lives and the rich legacy they've given to us. Pray, Lord, that you would bless the mothers in this room today, that they'd be encouraged, be lifted up by your spirit, that they'd understand just how important they are to you and to us. We also know that today is a, it's a hard day because we remember moms that we've lost, and some moms that are, that are remembering the loss that they've had. We pray, Lord, that you'd be close to those who are brokenhearted today. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage their heart and help them know that, that you are not far away, that they can lean on you. So, Lord, today we thank you, God, for just those who, who have just so richly poured into our lives, and we lift them up in Jesus' name. And so, God, today we now commit ourselves to you, your truth in our life, we pray that, God, we would be humble and surrendered to it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. You can be seated. How about you just stand the whole service long? I have to, so you should have to. How's that? Well, uh, let's see. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to John 18. We'll, we'll bounce around in the scriptures today. I, I will tell you right up front, uh, I know it's Mother's Day, and, uh, and it's, it's just good to see you, man. We've got a good crowd in here. There's lots of, lots of moms in here. Uh, we want you to know there's a little special gift for you out there in the, the lobby. Go out there, get an Italian soda. And uh, I bought my wife a donut this morning for Mother's Day. And she's like, what are you, you want me to get fat? And uh, I said, no, we're just happy Mother's Day. I don't know. Uh, if I would have got a, uh, like a celery stick, she would have, do you think I'm fat? I, I was in a no-win situation right there. But, uh, but today's message is, it's not on mothers. It's not a Mother's Day message. In fact, to be honest with you, this is a hard message. It's a hard one. I've had lots of people come up to me and go, whew, that was hard. Um, 
It's not, not one you, you might walk away. You know, like we often want to go to a, a service and we want to come away from church kind of going, oh man, that was great. I, I'm so excited. I feel better. I'm all encouraged. And I'm not sure it's going to feel like that after today. When I, I remember a few times in my life where my mom would come to me with hard truth. When she would tell me the truth, and it was, it was hard to hear. In fact, a lot of times I didn't want to hear it. But she'd tell me anyway because she knew I needed to hear it. And she'd speak it to me out of the greatest love in her heart. Not because she was angry, not because she wanted to knock me down, but because she wanted to build me up. And she knew that there was only one pathway for me to, to actually become who God wanted me to become as if she was honest and was truthful with me. And so she'd say it, even though it was hard. Now, unfortunately, I, I rarely received it well. But over the course of time, that truth would sink into me. And I'm, I'm thankful that my mom was a truth teller to me. I'm thankful that she would press into it and speak that hard word. And today, I'm going to speak a hard word to us. It, it, it'll be hard. It'll be challenging. But please don't think that I'm, I'm not speaking this from anything other than a heart of love. I really do love you guys. And if, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't tell you the truth. I'd just tell you what's easy. And today it's not easy. Now you guys are all like, what in the world is he going to say? <laughs> well, let's start by talking about a really, really interesting movie. How many of you guys have ever seen The Matrix? Seen The Matrix? Okay, great movie, great movie. Kind of makes your head spin a little bit when you watch it, but it's a, it's a good movie. The movie, if you haven't seen it, it's about a, a guy named Thomas Anderson, okay, who was a computer hacker known as Neo. And Neo, yeah, messing around with computers and being kind of deeply involved in the programming side of things, has this sense that something about his reality is not quite right. And that there's this thing out there he wants to understand. It's called the matrix. And he doesn't understand, you know, it's kind of something, you know, people are like, ah, whatever, it's not, there's nothing, you know, it's just, it is. But he has this nagging question, what is the matrix? One day, he's encountered by a gal named Trinity, who meets him at this, this club and says, I can help you answer the questions you're asking. I can help you answer what is the matrix. And she ultimately leads him then to a guy named Morpheus. And Morpheus begins to tell Neo unbelievable things about his reality, right? You guys know this, this you know, Morpheus begins to tell him that the reality in which he's living is actually a deception. It's an illusion. It's all kind of programmed into his mind. And that actually, that mankind had gotten taken over by AI. And AI kind of got in a war. Uh, mankind darkened the skies to try to take away their power source. And then AI found out they could harvest power through mankind. They enslaved humanity and it started uh, basically taking power from humans and uh, kept them all in this little, these little prison chambers. But 
uh, supplicated those people or, or kind of kept them under uh, you know, wraps by filling their mind with the matrix, a computer program in which they thought it was reality, but it wasn't. Really, the whole time they were in bondage and enslaved. So Morpheus kind of lays this out and says, do you really want to know the truth? And then he offers Neo two pathways, two options, right? You guys know the, the red pill and the blue pill. And he says, if you take the blue pill, what happens? If you take the blue pill, you just kind of go right back to sleep. You wake up, you don't remember any of this conversation, and you just go on and live about your life in the matrix, and, uh, and nothing ever changes for you. But if you take the red pill, then you'll know the truth, and everything in life changes. Now, you guys know that ultimately, Neo takes the red pill, right? He takes the red pill, and suddenly he finds himself in reality, in what really exists. He wakes up out of the, this cocoon thing, then he's in this slime where they're harvesting his energy, he untaches himself, and he gets picked up by this crew, and, uh, and now he's living real life. What is fascinating to me is in the movie, the real life that Neo finds himself in is really not that cool. It's dirty. It's hard. It's not comfortable. There's no creature comforts. They're in this kind of dilapidated ship. Uh, they're wearing scraps for clothes. They're eating scraps for food. It's not comfortable at all but it is reality. Anytime they insert themselves back into the matrix, well, guess what the matrix is? The matrix is comfortable. The matrix is nice. It's pretty. They can put on all the cool clothes, right? So when Neo shows up in the matrix, some of the threads he's got are nice. You're like, wow, he looks sharp, right? In real life, he's in scrubs, but in the matrix, right, you can just put on the facade. You could be whatever you want, right? And it's just the deception. And it's nice, it's comfortable, it's pleasurable, but it's not true. In the movie, one of the guys who had been set free from the matrix ultimately starts to get bitter towards reality. He starts to long for the time when he could be back in the matrix because why? Well, because the matrix is comfortable. The matrix is nice, right? He, he's sitting there one time, right? He's, he's actually in negotiations with the computer program, Mr. Smith, the, the bad guy. And Mr. Smith is promising him them, I'll get, if you turn in uh, the bad, you know, Morpheus and the, the escapees, I'll put you back in the matrix. You can go back and live out the deception. It's comfortable, it's pleasurable, it's great. Because he didn't like reality, didn't want the truth. What's interesting about all of this, I was watching with my son and uh, just a couple of days ago, and as we were watching, this is what my son said. He said, Dad, he said, this sure seems a lot like what the Bible teaches. I was like, you bet it is a lot like what the Bible teaches. 
Because if you were with us last week, we took a look at John 18 when Jesus is being uh, questioned by Pilate, this interrogation, and Jesus here begins to speak some truth to Pilate, just like Morpheus speaks to Neo. And in a lot of ways, Jesus gives Pilate the option to take the blue pill or the red pill. Do you really want the truth? Let me tell you some things about your reality. And here's what Jesus says. For this reason, this is in uh, John 18, verse 37. He says, for this reason I was born. For this reason I came into the world. And this is, we can put this up on the screen if, we, if you would. For this reason I was born. For this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. And then he says, everyone who is on the side of truth listens to me. Now, I want you to think about that passage for a moment because it is rich with implications. Implications about the life we live and the reality of our existence. It challenges some things that you and I have believed our entire lives. Primarily, number one is, the implication is that you are being deceived. You are being lied to. Now, the vast majority of us, we just assume that what we're hearing from the reality, what we grew up believing, what's been told to us by our teachers and by, you know, the, the premises in our, in our school system and what we, you know, grow up in our families and all of that stuff, we just assume that it's true, that we should believe it. But just know you and I are being deceived. I've seen, well, I shouldn't say it. I was going to say something about Santa. We can get in trouble. Don't know who's listening. <laughs> right? But sometimes there's a truth out there. We've been told and told and told. This is the concept. And then what happens when you discover that's not true? You and I are being deceived. Jesus stands up and says, Pilate, the framework that you believed about your life, the whole life, it's wrong. You're being lied to. I am here to tell you the truth. The second thing is that you and I are being held captive in the kingdom of this world. And the primary weapon of that captivity is a deception. It's an illusion. We are being held captive in the kingdom of this world by lies that the world is propagating upon us. There are things we believe that aren't true, but they keep us in bondage. And Jesus said, for this reason I've come into the world, for this reason I was born, is so that I could tell you the truth, so that you could have the red pill and escape the bondage of that false narrative, that lie. And then the third thing is that if you're going to be in the kingdom of God, you must be a person that seeks the truth. Everyone who's on the side of truth listens to who? Jesus. Everyone who's on the side of truth listens to Jesus. Not listen to the public opinion poll, not listen to Fox News, not listen to CNN or MSNBC, not listening to what you see on the internet or in a blog post, but listens to Jesus. If you're going to be a person who is 
a kingdom of God person, you listen and seek the truth. So the question for all of us is, which pill would you take? Would you take the red pill or would you take the blue pill? Now, quite honestly, I think all of us would be like, we just assume, oh yeah, we take the red pill. We want the truth. Well, let me challenge you with that today. Here's a hard, hard reality. I would say the vast majority of Christians follow Jesus not because he is the truth, but because of what we get from him. I want you to sit on that for a little bit, ponder it. I'm suggesting that over this room right here, right now, okay? <laughs> that the vast majority of us in this room are following Jesus, not because of the truth he speaks to us about this life, but rather what Jesus does for us. When I came to Christ, I did not come to Jesus as the truth. I came to Jesus because I was a mess and I needed rescue. My relationships were a mess. My finances were a mess. I was an addict, uh, addict to alcohol, and, and I was just a mess. I, my life was falling apart. I cried out to Jesus in my mess, asking for him to rescue me, and he did. And that's wonderful. It's great. That's primarily where most of us start on this journey with Christ. We come to Christ because we realize we can't do this on our, our own, and we need help. We need rescuing. But if that's as far as Jesus goes for you, he's just someone who saves you from your sin, then trust me, you are not following after the truth. You're just using Jesus for your own personal benefit. Again, I'm letting that sink in just a bit. If I'm sick... And I have, I have a, a, a catastrophic illness, right? And I go to the doctor and he said, oh, don't worry, there's a medication, these pills. If you take these pills, it'll cure, cure you of your disease and you won't die. So I take the pills. Well, guess what? I'm thankful for the pills. I appreciate the pills. I'll even talk to other people about the pills. But if that's all those pills are for me, is just a solution to my problem, then guess what? As soon as the problem's gone, the pills aren't that big a deal. I don't need the pills. I don't worship the pills. I don't reorient my life around the pills. And if the disease ever comes back, I just go for the pills. I just, right, the pills aren't the thing I revolve my life around. I just use the pills when I need them. Trust me, guys, this is the primary posture for almost all Christians in our Western culture. We use Jesus when we need him. But if that's the case, then how is Jesus any different than a genie in a bottle? Right, that when we need something or want something, we pull him off the shelf, we rub him, he pops out, and then we say, oh, would you please do this? Trust me, 
That is not the biblical Jesus. We have just sang a song, right? Cornerstone. It's what we build our lives upon. Lord of all, King of kings. He is the truth. He's not just someone who comes and shows up and pops in and does stuff for us when we need it. Because what does that mean? If we treat Jesus like that, then who's God in that equation? We are. We're the God and we just tell him what to do, what we need, what we want from him. And if you only follow Jesus based on what he can do for you, then what happens when he doesn't do what you want him to? What happens if when you want him to heal you and he doesn't? What happens if you want him to show up in a, in a family issue and it doesn't turn out the way you want it to? I've thought a lot about this. Would I still follow Jesus if eternal life wasn't promised to me and I would still have to pay the price for my sinfulness? Because let's be honest, we all deserve to pay the price for our sinfulness. We're the ones who chose it. We don't deserve anything beyond the punishment that Christ ultimately took upon himself. And it's great that he took it upon him. Don't, don't get me wrong in any way. I praise God for salvation. I thank God that I can look forward to life beyond this life. But would I follow Jesus if he was the truth? Would I follow Jesus if there was no external benefit for me? Or would I just then keep living the lie, chasing after what's comfortable, chasing after what's good for me, Guys, I don't follow Jesus because he offers eternal life. I follow Jesus because I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is the truth. And I don't want to follow a lie. I want what is true. And I want to live in the truth. I want the truth to be the premise in which I make decisions in my life and what I ultimately orient myself around. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want the matrix. I want the red pill. Everyone who's on the side of truth listens to me, Jesus says. Now, here's what I know. Living by the truth, biblical truth, Jesus' truth, it's costly. It costs. It is not popular. It is not well-received by the world. It's hard. I think the Matrix kind of gets it right when he takes the red pill and all of a sudden he finds himself in a really hard, difficult, uncomfortable world. Because quite honestly, that is a little bit like what it's like when you choose to live by the truth. It costs, right? It cost Jesus, didn't it? Jesus stands up proclaiming the truth and he's instantly hated by the vast majority of religious people, right? They persecuted him, they arrested him, they beat him up and they killed him, right? That's a pretty heavy cost for being a truth teller. The disciples 
pick up that mantle and begin to go around proclaiming the truth. And what does it cost them? They're arrested. They're mistreated. They're persecuted. They're martyred. Throughout history, countless of people have stood up for the truth, proclaiming God's truth into the world, and the world has hated it. You see, there is a tremendous cost for those who stand up and speak truth into a world that does not want to hear it or wants to suppress it. As the reality is that there's a lot of pressure, specifically on pastors, to make the Bible and its truth just a little more palatable for people, to not be so harsh, not be so black and white, to kind of make it a little bit more acceptable for everyone. There's a lot of pressure, and I see a lot of pastors give in to this pressure. And then they start kind of twisting and turning Scripture and trying to make it fit ways that the Scripture never, ever would say is okay. As you know that I've been, I've been accused of a lot of things because I hold to a biblical view of sex and sexuality. I hold to the biblical view of sex and sexuality. And because of that, I've been accused of being a hater, unloving, uncaring, homophobic, you know, bigoted, all because, like, I just, the Bible describes and defines a reality, and when I posture myself around that reality, guess what that sets you off as? Something that's against the culture. I've had a lot of people say things about me because I hold to a biblical view of gender and, and especially roles inside of marriage and inside of the church. People want to argue. People accuse me of being, you know, sexist and chauvinist and uncaring and prideful and pursuing the, you know, the patriarchy or whatever. This is just this is the Bible, right? It's what I would say is what the Bible defines as truth. This is God's truth, but it costs. At some point, you and I have to determine are we going to be people of the truth? Where the Bible speaks, are you going to speak? Where the Bible stands, are you going to stand? No matter what the cost and no matter, no matter what others might think of you. I get it. It's hard. But here's what I know. Standing for the truth can separate friends, it can separate families, it can cost you your job. Jesus said it's going to be hard for truth tellers in this world. If you go to Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus is getting ready to send his disciples out to do ministry. <clears throat> this is the pep rally, okay? So his disciples are gathering around Jesus. He's getting ready to send them out to do ministry. And one of Jesus' first words are this, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Does that pep you up at all? You're like, all right, let's go. No, 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 you'd be like, hold on, hold on. Did you say you're sending us out as sheep? Or do we have an option to be the wolf in this scenario? Because how many of you would choose wolves instead? 
right? I would, because I know what wolves do to sheep, and so did they. The disciples hear these words from Jesus. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. This is not an encouragement. This is a warning. This is to give you a framework that that, that thing that you've been believing about ministry and about serving me, that it's all going to be nice and easy and comfortable. Everybody's going to like you. They're just going to welcome you into their communities. They're going to say, hey, come on in. Tell us the truth. We want to hear the truth. Just know that Let's squash that idea right up front. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Why were they going out? They were going out to bear witness, to be truth tellers into the world. But they were not going to be well received, were they? They were going to be arrested. They were going to be flogged, drugged before governors and kings so that they could bear witness to the truth. Verse 19, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Now, this is encouraging, at least to me, right? God's saying, look, I'm sending you out, and it's going to be hard, really hard, harder than probably anything you've ever done in your life to be a truth teller into this world. But don't fear. Don't get anxious. Don't worry about what to say, because why? Because you're not alone in this. I'm with you. The Spirit is going to help you in that moment. You're going to sense what to say. God's Spirit is going to be, you're not going to be alone in this. But then Jesus goes right back into a very honest posture. Brother will deliver brother over to death. Man, think about that for a moment. Family members are going to turn over family members and have them put to death because they embrace the truth of the gospel. Children will rise against parents, father against his child, and will have them put to death. I just heard a story as I was driving in about a young girl and her family because they did not, this was in the Philippines, because her, her and her family came to faith in Christ and they would not worship the ancestors any longer, that they were beaten. And this young girl was beaten to the point of almost death because they took a stand for what is true. Verse 22, and you will be hated for all. You will be hated by all for my name's sake but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Again, the question is, how committed are you to being a person of the truth? It's not going to be easy. It's one thing, however, to count the cost of the external pressure of being a truth teller. But do you know where often the greatest tension shows up in our life? 
It's when God's truth confronts the inner, deeply held belief structure that we have in our own heart. That often is the hardest surrender. It's one thing when people want to persecute me and when they want to challenge me externally. It's another thing when I have to confront the deception in my own life. I was sharing the gospel with a young man one time. He fully understood the gospel. He told me, Corey, it makes complete sense. I said, so are you willing to surrender your life to Jesus? And he said, Corey, I want to, but I can't. He said, if I surrender to this, if I believe this, then that means my mom who died just a few years ago, who didn't believe any of this stuff, then is separated from God in hell. And I can't believe that, nor will I. Now, some of you guys can understand the pain of that young man in that moment. I certainly did. It's a hard thing to wrestle with. But the truth, it costs. Jesus sometimes will speak the hard truth to us even when we don't want to hear it and even when he knows we'll reject it. If you go to Luke 10 and you read the story about the rich young ruler who comes running to Jesus and said, Lord, what must I do to be saved? Right? He had all the posture of being a person who's just right on the edge and in a right relationship with God Jesus said, keep the commandments. He said, I've done that. And then here's what it says. It says, the Lord Jesus looked at the man and loved him. I think that little phrase was important because it could easily be assumed that Jesus then just threw out this phrase, this truth, without understanding the ramifications of this young man or to this young man. But Jesus knew full well what was going to happen but Jesus spoke the truth anyway. And he says, go sell all of your possessions and come follow me. And it says, the man walked away sad, grieving, ripped apart. Because why? Because he was a man of great wealth. He came face to face with a truth about what ultimately would set him free. And in that moment, he chose the blue pill. Just put me back in the matrix so that I can hold on to those things that are pleasurable, enjoyable, but he missed out on life, real life with Jesus. Unfortunately, this young man, while we were wrestling with that old idea, turned his back on the truth of the gospel because it was too hard was too hard. And so he took the blue pill because the cost was too high. Do you know this happened with the disciples? Multiple times, but one place that's very clear is in John chapter 6. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I, you guys are just dead silent. You're like, <gasps> it's a hard one. I told you. In John chapter 6, verse 52, 
Jesus is teaching the disciples and, uh, and he's using language that the, the Jews and the disciples just can't be okay with. In fact, he's using language on our end. We look at it and we can read it and we interpret it in the context of communion, of eating the flesh of Jesus, drinking the blood of Jesus, right? It's, it, we understand the symbolically of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and trusting his, uh, you know, trusting his death for our sake, trust, trusting the shed blood of Christ over our lives, right? We understand this, but for them in their context, they were having a hard time taking in what Jesus was teaching. Listen to what it says. The Jews didn't dispute it amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread of the Father, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now you read that passage, you hear that, you know, those words read, you can understand why the, the Jews are kind of struggling with it just a little bit. But is Jesus speaking truth to them? Yes. Do they understand it? No. Do they fully know how it all fits together in the grand scheme of things? No. But was it the truth? Yes. Did it challenge what they thought? Did it challenge how they thought about the world? Yes. Why? Because Jesus said himself, you and I are living in a world that is deceiving us. He is here to tell us the truth. He's here to tell us what really exists. But in verse 60, when the disciples heard this, they said, this is a hard teaching. If you can put verse 60 up there. When they heard this, what did they say? This is a hard teaching. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Are we still, are you guys following along with this? Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And then if we jump to verse 66, ultimately, how did some respond to the hard teachings of Jesus? Well, they said, number one, this is a hard teaching. This is a hard teaching. Well, let's just jump back. Verse 66, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back 
and no longer walked with Jesus. They no longer walked with him. So what did they do with the hard teaching of Jesus? Well, number one, they, they acknowledged it was hard, right? This, this teaching right here challenges what I've thought about and what we've thought about, what's been taught in the synagogues, the, the way we all think about this, it, it challenges all of that. Therefore, we could push it away. It's not orthodox, it, you know, right? This isn't the, 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 the regular stuff. This is hard. I want you to know, guys, that there are plenty of places in the scripture where it is unbelievably hard. There are places where I wish I could change the word. I could change its context and make it a lot more easy to navigate in a, in a culture that doesn't want to hear it, right? If we could water it down, if we could tone some stuff back, if we could change some language, if we could, you know, reorient stuff, it'd be a lot easier. It wouldn't be near as hard. But we can't do that. Not if we're going to be people of the truth. Jesus didn't tone down the language. He was faithful to it. He spoke it. He called them to trust him with it. It may be hard, but it's still the truth. The second thing they did is then they said, well, who can listen to it? In a lot of ways, this is a framework to be able to reject it. Well, nobody thinks this way. Nobody would accept this. This is outlandish. This isn't popular. This isn't culturally acceptable. One of the chief deceptions in this world is public opinion polls. Do you know almost every media article that you'll read, every news broadcast, you'll get some kind of public opinion poll. This is popular, and so this is how you should think. If you want to be a part of the minority, then you think this way, but if you want to be a part of the majority, this is how you think. And what we naturally kind of want to be a part of the majority of people, we want to be on the popular side. We don't want to be the outcasts. We don't want to be the only ones who are thinking or believing a certain thing. So the disciples here, they're like, well, who can listen to this? This certainly isn't the popular view. This isn't something that's going to grab the, the attention of the people, but here's the deal. Jesus also said that the way to destruction is wide, the gate to hell is broad, and many enter that way. But what does he say? Straight is the gate, or uh, straight is the way, and narrow the gate that leads to life, and only a few go that way. Only a few find it. Do you know what that means? We're in the minority as truth seekers. We're never going to be the majority. A few people will take that red pill and they will live and pursue it no matter what the cost. Unfortunately, then, it says that many disciples turn back. Many disciples that had given their lives, had reoriented their lives around Jesus. They got to the hard place 
where God calls, where Jesus calls them to believe something that challenges what they've held deeply to themselves. And they went, ah, nope, that's too hard. And they turned around. And the last part here, it says, they no longer walked with him. They no longer walked with Jesus. Here's the deal. If I as a pastor were to compromise the word of God for what is popular, make it a little less hard, make it a little more palatable, easy to accept. If we changed it so that it'd be a little bit more culturally acceptable, then ultimately I wouldn't be leading you to Christ, but I'd be leading you away. And I wouldn't be sharing with you the truth. I'd be sharing with you some version of truth that I'd made up along the way. You know, in the Second Timothy, Paul writes, he said, there will come a time when men will not endure sound doctrine, when they won't endure the truth, but they will gather for themselves teachers that'll tell them what they want to hear. Guys, I want to be a person of the truth, and I pray that you want to be a person of the truth as well. And if we change the scripture to fit our narrative, then guess what? We no longer walk with Jesus. We no longer walk with him. So with every head bowed and I close, I want to ask you this question. What is your posture towards the truth of Jesus? So Father, we pray over every single person in this room that you would help us to be people of the truth. That we would listen to you, that we would be on the side of truth, and that we would count the cost of following you. Father, would you help us not to treat you like the genie in the bottle just so you can do stuff for us, but may our eyes be on you to lead us and guide us and to point us in the way we should go. May you be the truth for us. For you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through you. We confess that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close?